This is Timo Sazo. I'm the executive producer and editor of this podcast. I'm sitting here with Tommy Keen, Dr. Tommy Keen, uh, New Testament professor. And um, one question I have um, as someone um, who grew up in a different country and uh, speaking a different language and reading the Bible in Spanish. Um, and now I mostly use Bibles in English because I live here. I'm preparing to plant a church and most of the people there are going to speak in English. Um, and so one question uh, related to all of that is what Bible translation we use at church. Um, people have different preferences. Uh, people have grown up, Christians have grown up in different contexts where uh, they're you know, there's preferences for one or other Bible translation. Some people feel very passionate about the translation they use. Um, others don't care. Um, but at some point, uh, it, it matters, yeah. especially when you're when you're going to be teaching and preaching uh, regularly. There's a need for consistency uh, and there's a need for clarity and unity also. Um, so perhaps beyond what's a good Bible translation, the question is, how do you go about choosing a translation? Yeah, it's a great question. I like the very careful way in which you framed it. In fact, the fact that you asked it in such a careful way means that I don't get to be punchy <laughs> or, um, you know, memorable in my response. Should, um, I, should I phrase the no, question no, differently? No, Dr. I mean, it's, King? Gr it's great. Uh, you, you know, you're, you, you very appropriately... Framed because I, you know, what one of the ways that is sometimes asked is what's the best Bible translation to which I would punctually respond. The one your church uses is probably the best one. It's probably the one that you should be using, um, and and the reason I think that's a helpful answer is all of the mainstream translations are very good. Um, I don't know what this situation is in Spanish, but in English we've got more excellent translations than really we have a use for, uh, to be mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. So, and my sense is that's true in most of the major languages um, that yeah. the world speaks. We have very good translations. Mm -hmm. So which one do I pick? Well, if they're all very good, I think you pick the one that helps you do the business of church in community most most efficiently with those around you. So pick the one that your church uses. In my context, you know, it, as a pastor, that was uh, our church used the ESV. Now um, at the seminary, we have, you know, in, in, a, in any given classroom, we have a selection of kind of popular translations that people use. We've got some people use the RSV. Most probably use the ESV. A couple NIV folks. Um, uh, no one uses the new living. So I try to bring out the new living every once in a while in class. Um, so there, there's a smattering of, uh, translations in the classroom. So I probably use the ESV most, but I try to rotate actually in some of the other translations so that I'm not too dependent on one translation in, in my own context. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm just kind of applying that principle at, at RTS. Yeah. And so I guess there's there's then 
a spectrum, right? So there's different choices because different translation commit translation committees have used a different, slightly different approaches. So can you speak to the to the kind of like differences within that spectrum? Yeah, if I think the first thing we have to kind of say out of the gate is no translation is perfect. And I mean that in a very specific sense. There's no, there is not a way. It's not that, it's not that no translation is perfect because, you know, we're all sinners and we're all imperfect and uh, uh, translation committees make bad decisions and they're biased and all those kinds of things. Those are all, those things are all true, but the reason no translation is perfect is because they're a translation. And when you move from one system of language to another, things shift whether it's the meaning of words, word meaning is determined by usage. The meaning of words is determined by how people at that time use those words. And word meaning therefore shifts from time to time, over time. And it, and it grammar shifts in time to time. And so language becomes this nexus of how people think at any given time, their history, their background, the stuff that's around them. Like all of these kind of cultural and social and anthropological and scientific kinds of things impact how we use language. So even meaning changes and shifts as you move within a language from mm -hmm. Shakespeare yeah. to modern sure. English. So there's just no such thing as a perfect translation because there can't be, which means that uh, kind of that's the so point two. anyone involved in translation needs a philosophy. Okay, what am I aiming for? I can't get I can't aim for literal. I think we need to get rid of that word literal when mm. it comes to translation because what it implies is there is a one-to-one -one equivalence between this language and culture and time and the translation language and culture mm. and time. And I think we need to get rid of that I that idea. So if I'm not going for literal because it's not obtainable, what am I going for? And at that point you have to get a little philosophical about it. Mm -hmm. Am I going for easy readability? Am I going for lofty style? Am I going, am I aiming for kind of a hodgepodge of both? Is this going to be ma ma mainly liturgical? I want a mm -hmm. kind of lo lofty language that is appropriate in a kind of high church setting. Like the, all those kinds of questions matter and a good committee will give very concrete answers to those questions. This is what they're we're looking for. So the, when you're picking a translation for personal use or for your church, you know, for your mm -hmm. church plan, when you're picking a translation, I would kind of think about uh, those factors and start getting into the details of the committee's philosophy of translation. Um, and then did they meet that? Did they fulfill their, their goals as they translate it? Mm -hmm. You have to get past the marketing to do that. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of a lot of you know the, on the website, right? The our philosophy is to give you the best translation available. You know, you got to get beyond that to the okay. What does that mean? It means we're going for a fifth grade reading level, using ordinary vocabulary with not too many semicolons. You know, you got to get to kind of that level of granularity to really unpack how is this translation working, and is this useful for my context. Mm -hmm. So given given the fact that um, what's available to us, um, you know, average people out there uh, is translations that are, you know, done through the lenses of, of people, you know, 
time bound and culturally bound and they're, they're trying to do their best, but the, the translations are not perfect. Um, how can we get, can we get through uh, that barrier perhaps uh, to some degree? And uh, how can we make the best of our Bible study with the resources yeah. we have? Great question. I, th I think, um, I mean, the first thing I'd say is what I've already said, which, which is all of the mainline translations are great translations. So pick one and tr trust it. Uh, trust it for what it's good for. Uh, you know, understand its philosophy. I think it's a good thing that you be a, that uh, you know an educated reader of this of any particular translation understand how it works, how they've made decisions, what they value. So you know its strengths and weaknesses and are aware of that. But once you have done that, read it as the very word of God, knowing that it has its limitations. So read it. You're, you're not. I think you can trust what you're reading as long as you're aware that there are that it has its own limitations and you don't put too much freight on any particular semicolon or comma there are no semicolons or commas in the hebrew or greek right so those are all non-divinely inspired semicolons and commas right so you've got to be you got to put adequate don't put too much more weight on it than it can bear uh, so that's kind of point one um, point two is uh, you use other translations. Um, I think you should have one that, and the one that your church uses should be your kind of primary translation. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, you have to wave a flag for that translation everywhere you go. You, you can use other translations. And I like to have a couple in my arsenal that are, that come out of different traditions that are written for different audiences that have a kind of variety to them so that I can be aware of some of the issues that are there in the text. Now, the reason for, you know, maybe having a um, multi-translation Bible or the reason for using these other translations isn't so I can figure out which one is right. That's not the goal. The goal is actually, actually, I think if you line up four translations on, on a text and you find variants, it's actually those variants that will in indicate to you Hey, there's a question in the Greek and the Hebrew here, and different translation committees are answering that question differently. Mm -hmm. They're coming to different conclusions. So I don't have access to the Greek or the Hebrew. There's a question here, and my goal is not to pick the translation that best fits what I already think. The goal is to actually, you know, this is this is a spot where because I'm working out of a translation, I have limits, and I'm not, you know, the uh, the NIV puts a period here. And the ESV keeps going and makes it a you know, subordinate clause or something like that. I'm not going to put a big weight interpretively mm -hmm. on the on the decision of one translation or another. I'm going to say, hey, there's a question here that I don't know the answer to. I need to be appropriately humble and take Greek or Hebrew at RTS Washington. Email me about that. Yeah. Um, so then you kind of hinted at it, but... Some people come to seminary, you know, because they want to learn the yeah. biblical languages, assuming that if they know or have a rudimentary knowledge of uh, the biblical languages, that's kind of that's kind of going to solve all of their questions, right? right? But right. that doesn't seem to be the aim of no. knowing biblical languages. Yeah, I think the way I'd put it is the languages don't help you 
come to better answers. They help you ask better questions. That you you start the languages, you take the languages because you think this is going to answer my questions. And then you realize that no, actually the languages expose the fact that you thought it was one question and it's actually 10. It's actually, how does this, what, how does this participial clause work? And there's four options. Uh, it, should I translate this preposition as through, from, or in? And all of those are legitimate options. Like the Greek, the Hebrew expose this level of detail um, that you didn't really know was there because the translation is not written, is answers, you know, it asks the questions and then it comes up with an answer and embeds the answer in, in the English or in the Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the translation committee sees the question, how should this word be translated? How should this participle be translated? And they, they have four options and they picked one for you. And the other three disappear into the background. They're not mm -hmm. options anymore for you if you're just in the Spanish or the English. Um, what the Greek does is exposes, hey, here are these questions. And it might actually leave you more unsettled, not less. But what you're doing, the advantage to that is you're, you're actually, it feels like you're not learning because you've reached this place of naivete. You've reached this place of ignorance. But what you're actually doing is learning because now you know what the questions are and mm -hmm. you can wrestle with those questions that you wouldn't even have access to from a translation. Um, so Hebrew and Greek can start out being a little bit discouraging because you thought this was going to be the magic wand <laughs> that illuminated all of scripture and what it but what it actually is is another tool to help you ask questions and come to good conclusions humble conclusions about those questions yeah Okay, and one um, one question that I think maybe mentioned at the beginning is: Are there any translations that are just so, you know, beyond the pale? Um, translations that we should stay away from in the church context because of their flawed uh, translation philosophy? Yeah, I think there there are translations that we should be more um, wary about. I don't think there's any that. At least I don't. I can't think of any off the top of my head that are like mainstream-ish, and you know that should never be on your shelf. Um, as long as you're aware of the limitations and the philosophy and the agenda and all of those kinds of things, I think they're, these are all usable. Um, but having said that, uh, there are some that are going to be less less useful for kind of general reading or general study. So translations that aren't written by a committee, for example, uh, uh, I think these are really valuable. I think it's valuable if you know Greek and Hebrew to make your, to kind of start working and collecting on your own translation, you know, mm -hmm. your, your idiosyncratic translation of scripture and, and to kind of collate it and collect it and have it in all in one place and maybe even share it. So there's, there's a number of translations out there of the New Testament, like Wright has one of his and I think, um, uh, Golden Gay has one on the Old Testament, things like those are really useful. Uh, often in commentaries, you'll find uh, in exegetical commentaries on the Greek text, you'll have the author's translation. Those are really useful um, in general, but you you do have to realize they're idiosyncratic in in a not in a negative sense, but in a like this is just one person's translation, and it hasn't been vetted for public use, and that 
narrows its usefulness. It makes it useful for, for study, for thinking outside the box, for asking a different kind of question, but it's less useful in a church context. Um, similarly, the kind of niche translations that are really trying to do something edgy and new. I'm thinking of, see, I always thought the message was, was um, advertised as a paraphrase, but my understanding is that no, uh, Eugene Peterson thinks it's a translation. Um, as a translation, I think it, it, even if I go with that language, I, I want to make sure I realize that that's, that the, the casualness of the tone and is, is very, lends itself to a level of interpretiveness that makes it, I think, not as useful as a translation. I could never figure out what is the, the Greek and the Hebrew from this translation. Doesn't mean you can't use it in certain kinds of contexts, but I wouldn't use it for study. Um, the New Living, I love The New Living. I think it's a great translation. It's on my recommended list. Um, I wrote a little blog post about that. I think it's wonderful. It's one that we use in, the, in our home. Um, I think I would have trouble using, I've had, I should say, I've used it in, in the class and oftentimes I have trouble in class kind of getting to the point that needs to be made because I because of the fluidity of the text. You know, mm. so different translations are useful for different things. If you're aware of that, and then I think you can use them any translation well for its purpose. That's great. Thank you for answering my questions, Doctor. You're welcome. Can you speak into the mic? I can speak into the mic. I can also try to speak not in the mic to see how the, both of those work. But I know that you okay. would like me to speak into the mic. Yeah. Yes. Yep. One thing that I would like for you to speak into the mic about is um, <laughs> a, a question. Well, smooth transition. Yes. That's a smooth transition. <laughs>